Thank you, Jeff. It's been great having Jeff as part of our church family. He moved up here from Southern California a few months ago. Thank you. He was a 911 dispatcher down there. And it's just awesome having him here as part of our church family. We love you, Jeff. Um, this morning, let's, uh, let's jump into the Word. We're continuing our series on Moses. And believe it or not, next week is our last week uh, in, the, in, in the story of Moses, which I, actually I'm disappointed about. Some of you might be like, finally. But uh, I, I've been really enjoying this. It's been a great summer going through this man's life because it's, it's so fascinating. Um, I just set my Bible down. Give me just one second. I set my Bible down. I forgot to bring it back out. That's important for reading from. Here it is. All right. So, so to get us up to speed, let's catch up to speed. Um, the Israelites have come across the Red Sea. Uh, uh, they were pursued by the Pharaoh in Egypt. And so they came across from Goshen, across the Red Sea. And God delivered them to the other side. And they sang a bunch of worship songs. And uh, Miriam led them. They were singing and clapping. And literally the last notes of the song trail off. And they start to complain. They're like, God is so good. He's thrown our enemies into the sea. And they immediately start to complain. They're like, we're thirsty. And so they go into this desert called the Desert of Shur and they start to, to whine and complain about how thirsty they are. And so God gives them water. It was bitter at first, but Moses threw a stick in there and it became sweet and they get all the water they need. And they get the water and they, they slate their thirst and they finish drinking and they go, we're hungry. It's like taking kids on a road trip. And so they, they start, oh, we're hungry. And so, and so God, um, they're, they're now in the wilderness of seen and, and, uh, and God provides miraculously for them. We just talked about this the other week, manna from heaven and, and, uh, and he, he door dashes them chicken and just, it's incredible. It's showing up right at their tent. They have to do nothing. They don't have to harvest. They don't have to raise it. It just shows up. And so they have all the food they need. And they finish eating. And this is not a joke. This is right after they get all the food they need in this, in this text. Do you know what the next thing they say is? We're thirsty. It's, one, it's back and forth. They jump one to the next. So they immediately they get to this next place they're going. They finish eating and they go, we're thirsty. And so this is where our story picks up in Exodus 17. So if you have your Bibles, jump in with me to Exodus 17. We're going to start in verse 2. It says this. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. It is a road trip. If I have to come back there. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? So they go right back to complaining against Moses. Accusing him, again, of trying to murder them. Like he's got some sort of sick agenda of killing the, all these people in the desert. And it's easy for us to point the finger at the Israelites, like I've been doing. Giving them the whiny voice, right? Look at these guys. What's their problem? Don't they know that God is doing all these miracles? They've never been needing anything. But it's exactly what our human nature is, isn't it? It's exactly what it is. God does the miraculous. We see healing. We experience restoration and forgiveness. Literal life change. Hope given to us. And moments later, we hit adversity. We hit some sort of a wall or trial. And we go, what's your problem, God? What's your deal? Do you have some sort of sick plan against me? We go, what, what's your deal anyway? And so uh, we're so fickle, aren't we? We're so easily swayed. And so this is exactly what the Israelites are doing. They're thirsty. And let me just tell you, there's no denying their condition. Has anybody been miserable thirsty? Who remembers coming in from recess or PE and there's the line at the drinking fountain? And you're like, if I don't get there soon, 
they're going to be carting me out of here. I just like one, two, three, your drink is done. My turn. You know, that feeling like we have got to get water. I can understand the desperation they had. The feeling of thirst is terrible when you're desperately thirsty. So they're in this point that they start accusing Moses. We're going to die. And so here's where it picks up again in verse five. So the Lord says to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. And Moses named the place Massah, which means test, and Merivah, which means arguing. Because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord here with us or not? So in this story, God tells Moses to hit this stone, this rock with his uh, staff. Now, this is a separate incident, interestingly, than what happens, I believe it's in Numbers 11, where God tells Moses to speak to a rock and water comes out and Moses sins, right? He doesn't do what God tells him. He hits it with a stick a couple times, which maybe he was thinking back to this incident. He's like, I'm just going to act out in my frustration. Aren't we back to this point, God? Haven't we gone through this? But uh, this is a point where God specifically tells Moses to hit the rock with his staff and water miraculously miraculously comes out and uh, this water comes out and he names it Massah, which literally is defined as temptation. He names this area temptation, temptation to challenge God, to say, are you real God? Are you with us or not? And then he also names it Merivah, which means strife, arguing or contention. It's not a happy place. It's not, it's not a joyful situation. Back to that road trip kind of idea. It's like naming the rest stop, uh, the rest stop you were at, Temper Tantrum Alley. You know, it's like this was the worst place ever. He names this place after the strife and the, and the difficulty that was going on there. And so while they are still there at this rock refilling their Nalgene bottles, they're there filling them up and the warriors of Amalek attack them. So they're there at this, at this place of, of, of strife, arguing, contention. And here's what it says in verse 8. While the people of Israel was, were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Now the Amalekites were a hostile tribe. They were actually related to Esau. If you look way back in Israel's history, more than 400 years, um, there was Jacob and Esau. Jacob um, was, was the father of Joseph who came down to Egypt, right? Jacob's brother Esau started his own family and they still lived in the area of Canaan. And they were hostile towards the Israelites. They were aggressive towards the Israelites. And so this enemy that is uh, not used to being slaves, they have been used to fighting for what's theirs. They have camels. They attack Israel and the enemy attacks while they're there in this place of strife. They're there in this place of temptation, in this place of arguing. And I can just tell you that the enemy wants to strike when we're emotionally compromised, doesn't he? When the people were at their emotional, most, most highest conflict moment, when things were ready for a boil over, when they were thirsty and tired and frustrated and questioning God, the enemy attacks. The devil wants to attack us after we've had an argument with our spouse. The devil wants to attack us when our boss has been unreasonable. The enemy wants to attack us when our financial resources aren't enough. These are the moments when he wants to attack. When we are compromised, when we are hungry, when we are thirsty, when we are tired. Quite literally, when we need a nap, when we need a snack, that's when the enemy attacks. 
He comes after us when we're compromised. And so the Israelites have been in this place that Moses literally named strife. And when they were compromised and in disunity, the enemy attacked. And this Israelite group is untested. They have never been to war. They have no one that's like, well, I've got some experience in this. They were all slaves. They were all common laborers building things out of bricks. They didn't know how to fight. And so this group of untested people, never been into war, never experienced battle, comes under attack. And here's what, it can, what happens in verse 9. So it says, Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. And tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. And as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. So Moses climbs this mountain and he's overlooking this battle that's raging down below. And whenever he raises his hand and his staff, the, the, the advantage is on their side. They are starting to overcome. And how many of you know that raising your arms for a long period of time is exhausting, right? Uh, I was talking to someone once. They said, hey, you know, to get in shape, I started uh, picking up gallon jugs and holding them out to the side as long as I could. At first, I could only do a couple seconds. But they said the longer I did it, the, the more I did it, the longer I could do it, up to like 30 seconds in a minute, five minutes. I was like, that's impressive. They said, well, I'm planning on adding water to them later. So, But you, we know that raising our arms is tiring. After just a few minutes, we get tired. I, I see you in worship, right? First song, we're, we're, I call this first position. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. But by bridge of second song, second position. Third song, we're like, just fill me, Lord, just fill me. I, right here, where I'm at. Our arms get tired. Arms get tired. Moses is no spring chicken either, right? He's old. He's, he's over 80 at this point. He's, he may be spry, but he's, he's still been getting a senior discount at Sizzler for a while. So he's, he's getting up there in age, and he's, he's supposed to be holding his arms up for, for this victory. And so his knee's weak, his arms are heavy, mom's spaghetti, and, and his, he's going, I got to keep my arms up for this victory, but they keep falling, and eventually he can no longer hold them all the way up. Eventually, he can no longer keep them up. And every time his hands fall, Israel begins to lose the advantage. And so in verse 12, it says, Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. And they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Wow. So the victory was won. Because of who? Because of the Lord. The victory was the Lord's. God won the victory. But it was through the obedience of Moses. And Moses was only able to obey because of Aaron and Hur. The support of Aaron and Hur who came alongside him. You see, there are times that our arms really do grow weak and heavy. Not, not maybe literally most often, but there are times that we need to be lifted up. And there are times we need to lift the arms of those around us. Our leaders, our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, someone's victory may hinge on who is standing next to them in that moment. Someone's victory may hinge on who is standing next to them in that moment. So it's so important that we don't underestimate just how much you are needed to raise someone's arms. 
You may feel like, oh, it's an encouraging word. It feels so small. Do not underestimate the value of raising someone's arms who is next to you in need of help, who is needing uh, you to lift them up. And that starts with being intentional. It starts with being intentional. Raising another's arms requires um, that we actually know the need. We need to know the need before we can help lift the burden. Can I say that again? We need to know the need before we can actually help lift the burden. See, we can't know each other's needs unless we're there in proximity. Um, there's a, we need to actually know someone else's needs. In order to do that, we need, there needs to be proximity. There needs to be closeness. As handy as it would be to like have the force and be like, there's a disturbance in the force. You know? And you're like, something's wrong over there. We, need to, we don't have that. We need to actually know someone intimately to care about them, to know their need, um, to know that they're getting tired. And so Aaron and her had to be on the mountain with Moses in order to know what was going on. They couldn't be down at camp. They couldn't be hanging out with their family or in the tabernacle or doing their other things. They had to be with Moses to know what his needs were. They, uh, they, this incident presents a picture, really, of what the church should look like today. As the church, we are called to support the hurting, the discouraged, the lost, the frustrated, the weak, and the helpless. And sometimes the people who need help the most are the ones that we think have it all together. I think about that. Moses is the guy that should have it all together, right? Look at what all he's, all he's done. He's the guy that should have this all together. But seeing his exhaustion, seeing his weakness, they were in proximity, able to know the need and lift his arms. You see, there are brothers and sisters fighting battles that we may not know anything about. Amen. Unless we're there close by in proximity. So we need to live with intentionality, with, within proximity to know the need so we can help lift the burden. But this also means that we need to get our hands dirty. It's more than just the Hosanna calls at the T's and P's, thoughts and prayers. See, that's, let me tell you, there is nothing more powerful than prayer. But I think often that phrase is our cop-out. It's our, I can keep some distance, I'll throw up a prayer for you, but I don't want to get involved. In order for, in order for us to actually uh, do this, it means getting our hands dirty. It says, I'm going to come alongside you through this. I'm going to grab your arms. I'm going to physically grab your arms and lift them up, is what Aaron and Hur said. And so a great victory was won that day, but, but, uh, but it was because they came alongside him. I like the proximity thing, but it means getting close. It means getting uh, to, in, in, into people's business and just saying, I care about you. Not, not in an invasive way, but saying, whatever you need, I'm here and I'm willing to step in. You notice, um, though, in the story, I, as I was reading this and I was, I was studying this week, I, I, I go, wait a minute, Moses, this happened to him, but he never got the hint. This was interesting. Moses had his arms raised, the victory was won, but he still didn't get the hint. You see, did you ever notice in this, did Moses ever ask for help? Did Moses say, my arms are getting heavy and I've noticed every time I let down my arms, we start to lose. Can someone just help me kind of hoist these things up? He didn't say a word. It was Aaron and Hur's intuition, their knowledge, their seeing what's happening that raised his arms. Moses never asked for help. Um, He's a lone wolf. If you read Moses' life, he's a maverick. We call it wanderer. He's kind of a desert-dwelling nomad. He's, he's a guy that kind of goes out on his own. And so Moses sees this great victory that comes about because two godly men come alongside him, but he never asks for help. And so this is why it's important. These two stories aren't often studied together, but I think it's important. Because if we jump to the very next chapter... Moses' father-in-law rolls into town. And Moses is like, could this road trip get more challenging? Now my in-laws are in town. No, I'm just kidding. In-laws are great. And he actually really loved his in-laws. But uh, uh, his in-laws roll into town. His name is Jethro. And he watches Moses in this next chapter. As After this battle, Moses comes out the next morning. 
And he sits down and he takes a seat. And all the Israelites gathered around and they start coming to him bringing their problems. And he starts adjudicating all their issues. And it says that he sat there from morning until evening. Ruling on their problems. And Jethro watches this go down. And he says to, and he says to Moses, he says, this isn't good. He says, this is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're, you're going to wear yourself out. And the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. And when Jethro says you're going to wear yourself out, I think this is so amazing. I, I went and I looked at the original language. This is what it literally means. It means to wear away or to sink or drop down. A lot like Moses' arms. He says, what you're doing right now, you are going to literally sink or drop down. You are wearing yourself out. You're trying to do this all on your own. You are going to kill yourself. So, so what you need to do is surround yourself with wise counsel. He says, you need to kind of start up a court system with a higher court that's you, but people that can adjudicate the lower things. Bring people alongside you. You can't do this on your own. And so he encourages him to bring other people along to share the burden. And this is the second point we need to understand. Don't underestimate how much you need others to lift your arm arms. The first thing is we need to not underestimate how much other people need us to help lift their arms, but also don't underestimate how much you need others to lift your arms. You see, longevity and consistency and victory requires us to be willing to allow others in. Longevity and consistency in living a victorious life means we need to be willing to allow others in. Uh, There's a saying, it's pretty popular, it says, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go with others. And so Moses needed to go with others that would encourage him, that would spur him on. You see, a porcupine needs to lower its quills in order to let people get close, though. And a lot of us are porcupines. When we're tired, when we're hurting, when we're exhausted, our tendency is to get the defensive mechanisms engaged. Uh, self-preservation. Vulnerability is counterintuitive, right? Why would I make myself vulnerable? I'm pretty tired and exhausted and, and I've been hurt and all these things. Why would I actually make myself vulnerable? You see, arms getting heavy is a slow fade and we can lie to ourselves as our arms sink lower and lower. I still got this. I still got this. And we see over and over Moses raising his arms, raising his arms until there's a moment they cannot be lifted again. You see, we don't just wake up one day and say, I'm just going to throw in the towel, but rather it's a battle of attrition. Our arms just growing tired and tired, and this is Moses' hands as they became heavy. Sometimes the burdens we carry become so heavy that we can't carry them alone. And I've got to say, as your pastor, I was praying with our team this morning. I'm so thankful for the Aaron's and hers that I have known in this church. So many that have come alongside me in wisdom, uh, in, in bringing energy and vision, our board of elders, our, our pastors, um, Pastor Ty, Pastor Charity, Melissa, our youth director, who's just about to be a pastor. Um, just incredible people who say, we are coming alongside you. And as a church body, can I tell you that without shame, I ask you to pray for me and lift my arms. Pray for my family. It means so much to us. But it, doing this also means that we need to be careful that we allow the right people into that inner circle, Right? When we say that we want to have our arms lifted, it means we need to have the right people that are actually gathering around us, those that lift us up. There might be some, you say, I'm trying to fight, I'm trying to lift my hands, but the reality is, let me say this, and this is harsh, but you're straight up partying with the Amalekites. And you're saying, why are my arms so tired? But you're hanging out with the enemy. 
Who are we allowing into our inner circle? Who are we allowing to be the people that actually influence and we are vulnerable to? See, Moses had the right people, Aaron and Hur. I love the meanings of their names. Do you know what? We talked about name meanings. Do you know what Aaron's name means? It means strength. And Hur's name, name means freedom. It means liberty. Those around us need to bring us strength and they need to help us be set free. So many believers live with this, though, this it's just me and Jesus syndrome. I've had someone actually tell me that. They got burnt by the church, and I can tell you, the church is full of broken people that are on their way to to being more and more Christ-like, but we're still human, and I know that we fail. And they were hurt by the church, and they said, you know what, as far as I'm concerned, it's just me, my wife, and Jesus, amen? And let me tell you, we were not meant to walk our lives as lone wolves. We were not meant to walk our lives alone. Um, throughout the Bible, the church is described in unity-type verbiage rather than individual-type verbiage. In 1 Corinthians 12, it describes the church as a body with all the parts needing one another. In Acts 20, it describes the church as a flock. In uh, Galatians chapter 6, it refers to the church as a family of believers. In Philippians 2, it refers to the church as an army. And no, we are not the National Guard army of one. We are unified, needing one another. See, being a lone wolf starves, starves of, of, of really important things. We're starved, first and foremost, of accountability. See, there's a difference between living under accountability and living under scrutiny. Has anybody ever lived under scrutiny? That's a fun feeling. Like, everything I'm doing is being analyzed. I'm failing. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. Nitpick, nitpick. But living under accountability is saying, I have a brother and sister in Christ who love me enough to warn me. To rebuke me when I've strayed or backslidden. See, this is something really unique to the church to say, I love, I love you and care about you enough that I will speak truth to you. And so when we live a life that says I'm going to uh, live on my, uh, on my own terms, it starves us of that accountability. It also starves us of encouragement. It's like an ember that's been removed from a fire. How many of you went camping this last year? Anybody? Okay, a couple people went camping. What happens when you take an ember and kind of pull it away from the rest of the fire? How's it do? It just turns into a coal, right? And then it just turns into a lump of, of coal. It burns out. It, it needs the rest of that fire to, to continue burning hot, to continue uh, uh, burning. So, so like this, we're called to spur one another, on, one another on. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Let us think of ways that we can motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So we need to spur one another on. The, second, or the third thing that, uh, that this lone wolf syndrome kind of brings on is it starves us of, our biblical, of biblical teaching. You say, I, I just read my Bible, I have my own devotional time. Let me tell you, personal study doesn't replace taught doctrine. And preaching doesn't replace personal study. They need each other. They're required in each individual's lives. And, and fourth is this, it starves others from the gifts we've been given and that we've been called to share with the body. Each of us has been given gifts that we need to share. And when we don't share those, when we live life on our own terms, when we say it's just me and Jesus, we are starving the rest of the body from what he has given us, the gifts he has given us to share. Amen. So the two things, again, are this. Do not underestimate how much you need others to lift you up. And also do not underestimate how much you need to lift. Uh, do not underestimate how much others need you to lift them up. Yeah. Yeah. See, the, the, the story 
like I've t- talked about before, the Old Testament is not just standing alone on its own and then we just kind of throw it out and move to the New Testament. It's got a thread through the whole Bible that brings us to Jesus. And throughout the story of Moses, Moses is a representation, he's an image, he's a, a reflection of who Jesus would be. As a matter of fact, the book of Matthew is really kind of just pushing that Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the new Moses. And so Moses is this imagery of who Jesus would be. And so as I talked about before, the ultimate victory that Israel had that day was not because of uh, 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 there was a great military strategy. It wasn't because Joshua really riled the troops up. It wasn't because of anything else that happened but the Lord's hand. Fighting on that day on their own, they had zero chance. Zero chance. Their wealth. Did you know that the Israelites were really wealthy at this time? They had a massive amount of gold and all kinds of stuff that they pillaged out of Egypt, Egypt when they left. But their wealth wouldn't have saved them. Their money wouldn't have saved them. Their, uh, their being the children of Israel wouldn't save them. Um, their, their being the, you know, this tribe called by God. Their military knowledge. All, all these things wouldn't matter. It was only God's power. And so as Moses is the re- this reflection of Jesus, it's only by Moses' lifted arms that the, the victory was won. It wasn't because of anything that they could do. It was only by the lifted arms of Moses. And it's only through the raised, crucified Jesus that we can be saved. The source of our salvation isn't through our own strength. We can't fight hard enough for it. We can't have enough money for it. We can't be good enough people for it. You see, it's a victory that's already been won through Jesus when he spread his arms and he died for us. And as the band returns, I want to give us this opportunity. You see, there is a battle that every one of us is facing, and that's against our own flesh. It's me against me. And we are going to lose every time. Because our heart and flesh will fail. Sin has captured each and every one of our hearts. And it has brought us to a point where we have been separated from God. And one day we will be called into account for the lives we lived. And if we have any sin in in our lives, any at all, it has separated us from God. And one day when we account to God for what we have lived and the life we have lived, any sin separates us. Because God is perfect. And so the truth is that one day when we stand before God, all of us have sinned and been separated from God, and death is our penalty. That is the the price that we have earned. But through Jesus' sacrifice, not anything else we've done, through His raised hands, He died for us in our place where death was the thing we earned and deserved. He said, no, your death is upon me, and He died for us. He poured out His life so that we could have eternal life. And all we have to do is accept that. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for me. I want you to forgive me of my sins so that I can have that victory. And that victory is ours. And it's only through Jesus. So this morning, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, this victory has already been fought. It's a battle we don't have to fight. It's only something that we need to receive. So this morning, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus, Maybe you feel like you've been fighting a battle to be a good enough person to do this or that or earn it. And the reality is, there's nothing you can do that's good enough. That you need the forgiving grace of God to enter into your heart, to give you new life, and to restore the relationship with God that has been broken, that you can know Him. So if that's you in this room right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, say I want to give my life to Jesus I don't want to live life on my terms anymore but I want to give my life fully to him I want you to raise your hand and raise it high I want to pray with you raise it high 
church, let's pray this prayer together. Repeat it after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that by your spread arms, the victory has been made mine. So I receive it in your name. I make you the King of my heart and my Lord and my Savior. From this day on, you are my King, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. The Bible says that heaven celebrates when anyone comes home, when any one of these lost sinners finds their way home to God and, 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 and the Father is waiting and heaven throws a party. And so we celebrate with you. This is a wonderful moment. And let me tell you, this is the beginning of a journey of discipleship, of becoming more like Jesus and following in his ways. And so um, what I encourage you to do is when we do our connection cards in just a moment, Will you mark on your connection card that I've decided to follow Jesus? We want to be in touch with you, uh, give you encouragement, and help you on what it looks like in the next days ahead on how we begin this walk with Jesus. We've got an awesome class that's actually meeting right now. There are other fresh followers of Jesus that are meeting right now, um, learning what it is to follow Jesus. And we want to get you involved with that, that group. So let us know on your connection card. Mark that on your connection card if you made that decision to follow Jesus. Now, before we close, there's this really cool juxtaposition I just want us to look at in Exodus 17 as we get ready to go. In verse 7, it says that the Israelites, right, are thirsty, they're hungry, they're angry, and so Moses, is, Moses names this area Massah, meaning, is the Lord here with us or not? That's what the people ask. Is the Lord here with us or not? But look what happens after the battle, and Moses, uh, the, the victory happens after Moses raises his hands. This is what the Lord says. After this victory over the Amalekites, Moses builds this altar, and he names it Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. So they go from one place right next to it being, is the Lord even with us? Is the Lord real? And then Moses names it, the Lord is my banner. And what a banner is, it's a standard that goes over a people. It goes over a group of people or warriors and it says, this is who our allegiance is to. This is who our God is. And so they went from going, is God even here to the Lord is our God. We are under his banner. He is my victory. God is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Can we say that out loud? The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Say it with conviction. The Lord is my banner. Is he your banner this morning? His banner over us is love. I love what that says in the book of uh, Song of Songs. The Lord is our banner. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings as we go. Um, I ask you to do this. Please fill out your connection card. Let us know what we can be praying with you about. Um, We'll put the QR code up here again for the connection card. Um, We ask that everyone fill out a connection card. And if there's something we can be praying with you about, let us know. We pray over these things. If there's something that's a a praise report, even better, I love praise reports. I love moving things from my prayer column to my to my praise column in my prayer book. Um, There's nothing better than that, um, seeing what God is doing. So mark that in your connection card. Um, Do we have our connection card link there? It might be up a ways there. It's a a blue slide. Um, So get out your connection cards and... uh, and we'll receive this morning's tithes and offerings. So this morning, uh, you can give by going to nlcchurch.com slash give, or you can put your gift in the, in the bucket. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercies. Lord, we give you praise for all that you've done. We glorify your name. Lord, that in this offering, as some of us may be giving from points of faith, saying, Lord, I don't know where tomorrow's is coming from, but I'm trusting you with today. I pray that you would just open the floodgates of heaven with your faithfulness and that they would see your hand and that we would remember, we'd set up reminders and, and memorials of the faithfulness of God in our lives. And we thank you for it, Jesus. In your name we pray. And together all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's give.
church. Let's stand together. I'm going to dismiss us as we go. Father, I pray for your church today. God, give us the courage to ask for help when we need to. The ability to be transparent and honest when we need our arms raised. And I pray, God, that we would get out of our own way and actually line ourselves up with others that are in need of their arms being raised. That we would see victories won as we encourage one another, as we spur one another on following you. We thank you for it, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you, New Life Church. Have a blessed week. We'll see you next Sunday.